Um, it's good to be back here at Cottage Lake. I, uh, I'm not sure just when I last preached here. I think it's several years. I'm not exactly sure how many. But uh, I did help out for a little while there after uh, your interim pastor left a little bit before the PNC was ready to present uh, a new candidate and uh, moderated a couple of session meetings, actually did a funeral or two and uh, helped out in that interim time and then was here when Scott Anthony arrived and it was my privilege to take part in his installation and for those of you who uh, were here uh, Scott chose to be installed here on my birthday which I thought was uh, very nice and I and then he invited me to uh, give the charge to him and um, you probably don't remember it but I remember a little bit I talked to him about his role here at the church as being that of a sheepdog that he was not the shepherd Jesus is the shepherd but every shepherd needs a good sheepdog, and I challenged him to. Uh, so I hope Scott's been a, uh, a worthy sheepdog, and uh, remind him of that the next time you see him. Uh, just a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago now, we had a presbytery meeting, the new Northwest Coast Presbytery, and we got to meet in Alaska. And Emily was there, and Carol was there, and Scott was there. And uh, Friday was a beautiful day, and then the heavens opened. And on Saturday and Sunday, in those two days' time, uh, 9.4 inches of rain fell on our heads. If you think it rains here, uh, Ketchikan gets five times as much rain annually as Seattle. Some years, 200 inches. Uh, they're on track this year to get about 175, so it's kind of a dry year. But we tried to make up that weekend of Presbyterian, I think, maybe helped considerably. But it's good to be here, good to be with Janine and uh, all of you who uh, are a part of this uh, faithful congregation of God's people. I think this congregation would probably have been one of Paul's favorites if he had, if he had had a chance to meet you. Uh, he liked the Philippian church. I, I think it really was his, his very favorite congregation. And uh, we're going to read. I, I was delighted when the lectionary chose some verses from the fourth chapter of Philippians. And you'll know in a few minutes when I say a little bit about this, why this is such an important letter and an important chapter to me personally. But I think it's a, it's a great tribute to a faithful congregation. And, uh, and that's what we're going to celebrate as we hear God's word now from our New Testament reading, Philippians chapter 4, uh, starting at verse 4. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Finally, beloved, he writes, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, in this ancient letter from your servant Paul, surely there is a word for each of us who gather here this morning. So in these next few moments, as we focus on that word, help us to hear your voice speaking in a clear and direct way to each one of us. And by the power of your spirit, make us more faithful in our discipleship today and this week. For we pray in the strong and beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. The text that I want to highlight for a few moments this morning is that one verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I mean, that is an amazing claim. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Do you really believe that? Do I? And do we live as if we truly believe that good word? Today I stand here uh, kind of in the spirit of Timothy, the biblical young man Timothy. I'm not young anymore, but I'm going to identify with something he wrote. He gives thanks for the blessing of a godly mother and grandmother. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about my mom and my grandma. My grandmother lived to be almost 88. My mother died of ovarian cancer at age 62. But both of these women chose this very verse to be the theme text of their funerals. 
Let me first tell you a brief story about my favorite grandmother, Minnie Van Heuchelum Van Ruckel. Uh, no betrayal there of my uh, native, uh, well, it's not really my native, but my ancestral homeland. I, I, I am Dutch. Uh, we had bumper stickers in my hometown. I'm not proud of it, but we did have bumper stickers that said, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. <laughs> and we believed it, you know. But anyway, dear Minnie was born in Iowa in September of 1885. She raised three sons and two daughters on a farm about five miles east of Pella. And my mother was the youngest of my grandmother's five little replicas, but was the first to die. And that nearly broke grandma's heart. And she was very proud when one of her grandsons told her one day that he was feeling a call to go into ministry, to become a domini, and that would have been the word she always used when she was referring to her minister or her pastor. The Dutch word is domini. And when I left for seminary as a recent college graduate and a newlywed, she asked Andrea and me to come to her home before we moved to Holland, Michigan. And she wanted to say her goodbyes to us. And before we left the house, she wanted to offer a prayer for us, which she did. And then she even loaned us some money so that we could buy a small freezer in which to keep meat from my parents' farm and vegetables and other produce from my in-laws' large garden, both in the area of Pella. And on one of our seminary breaks, I don't remember which vacation it was, but you know, one of the breaks, we drove back to Pella and I stopped to visit Grandma. And she asked me, she said, Irv, before you leave, would you read something from the Bible? And I said, of course, but what do you want me to read? And she said, well, you know, my favorite letter is Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I said, yes, I know that. And she said, don't read the whole letter, but just read the fourth chapter, the, the last chapter, which I did. And I was going along and I read, I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. And Grandma said, that's it, that's it. I said, excuse me? And this came after we had just had a rather um, disturbing conversation because I told her I was studying Greek and Hebrew to better understand the original languages in which the Bible was written. And Grandma said, Greek and Hebrew? She said, no, the Bible was written in Dutch. She said, the first Bible I ever got was in Dutch, and I'm sure Paul wrote it in Dutch. And then she said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. She said, I'm sure he was talking about Iowa. I tried to dissuade her that that was probably not the case, but I did not make much progress in convincing her 
Grandma was not impressed with too much scholarship and too much learning. Uh, she did not have a formal education. My own parents' uh, education, and my dad's with the sixth grade, my mother's with the eighth grade. They, they were, would have given their right arm for a high school diploma. And they did everything possible to make it a reality for my sister and me to get an education because they really believed that we would be able to get ahead in this world if we, if we could go to school. And uh, I was the first person in my entire family to have a college diploma. And, uh, you know, then she was even more proud when I went on to get a seminary degree and then later a master's from Princeton and a doctorate from San Francisco Theological Seminary. That was kind of beyond her comprehension. At her funeral, though, some years later, we were talking at the reception afterwards and not a single member of the family could remember a time that my grandmother ever got outside the boundaries of the great state of Iowa. That was her world. She was born in Iowa, she lived her life in the Hawkeye State and she was buried there. She was buried in a little country cemetery less than a quarter mile from the farm where I grew up, where my own parents are buried, my grandparents, several of my uncles and aunts. But Grandma began to question the wisdom of going to seminary and studying all this highfalutin wisdom. And I knew that it was terribly inappropriate for me to try to impose some of my views on this godly woman. And I must say, even though I had opportunities that she never had to study, I wish I had the absolute simple faith, absolute trust, unwavering confidence that my grandmother had in God and in God's care for her. She lived it. She believed it, she practiced it, she showed it in every way she could. And so she asked me to speak at her funeral on this text, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Earlier I had sat in a hospital room in Des Moines, Iowa with my dad and my mother and I knew her days were limited and I said, Mom, before I go back to Spokane, we were pastoring a church in Spokane at that time, I said, I think we need to talk about something. And I said, I'd really like to talk to you about your final service because I was quite aware I probably was not going to see her alive again. And my dad got up and walked out of the room. This was just a little too painful for him to talk about. But she said, please read Philippians 4 at my service and the text, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. None of you have ever had the privilege of meeting either Tina nor Minnie, but two more godly women I cannot imagine. But you probably know people like them 
family members perhaps, maybe a favorite teacher, maybe a favorite pastor, maybe a favorite youth leader, someone who was very influential in your own life and faith. And I hope that you too can say with as much conviction and confidence as my grandmother and mother had, I can do all things through the one who strengthens me. And it was not pie in the sky by and by for my ancestors. It was a faith that influenced their daily life in dozens of ways, their generosity, their stewardship, their compassion for others, their godly conversation, their speech, their manners. They radiated the faith that was theirs. Now, Pastor Scott warned me that because of the men's retreat, there uh, might be a lower level of testosterone in the room and a little higher level of estrogen than usual. He said it might look like Irv and his harem on Sunday morning to any newcomers or visitors, but it's good to have both men and women here this morning. But I really want to challenge and remind all women here in church, first of all, Never to underestimate the influence that you have on the next generation or two or three. I never had a conversion experience like the Apostle Paul had on the Damascus Road. That simply was not part of my journey. Mine was really much more of a spiritual osmosis I don't ever remember a Sunday when we discussed whether or not to go to church. It, that was just a given. Uh, my parents didn't insist on what time I got to bed or in at night, but we were up at 5 because the cows had to be milked at 6 a.m. and p.m. 365 days a year. We didn't talk about it. You just did it. And there's something kind of healthy about that. It was very difficult for Andrea and me in a much more urban setting to create that same <laughs> regimen for our own children and grandchildren. But we were always in church on Sunday, not just Sunday morning for Sunday school and worship, but Sunday evening as well, and Christian Endeavor or our youth fellowship group. And then we were back there on Wednesday night. It used to be called prayer meeting, and then later it got to be family night. And even the public schools in our community never scheduled any activities, games, concerts, or the like on either Sunday or Wednesday evening. Those were off limits for the church. I mean, what a different world from what my own five grandchildren experience today. I mean, if you get on a soccer team or a baseball team, you know, the games, the practices are on Sundays. Now, I realize the world I am living in now is so different from Mahaska and Marion County in Iowa 50 years ago, 75 years ago. I mean, we are no longer a Christian nation, nor should we claim to be. Our society is far more pluralistic. It is... It is so much more diverse. In my hometown, there were no synagogues, no temples, no mosques, not even a Catholic church 
or a priest. We were all Caucasians. We were all Anglos. We were all of Dutch descent. We were all either RCA, Reformed Church in America, or CRC, Christian Reformed Church. And the Christian Reformed Churches wouldn't even allow their kids to come to public schools with the Reformed Church kids, so they had another parochial schools. And the rivalry between the Christian Reform and the Reform was not Christian. Nothing Christian about it. <laughs> and we uh, duked it out on the football field and the basketball court and the baseball field, so on. But in that little community, there were no African Americans, there were no Hispanics, the telephone directory was 95% Dutch surnames, D this and Van and Vander and Van and De Groot and De Bruyne and De Young. And I mentioned the bumper stickers. I mean, it was a Dutch ghetto, and I didn't know it. And it took years, years for me to realize how provincial that little community really was growing up. And now my world is so much larger because I've had an education and I've had a chance to travel. But I hope we have not given up on that theme, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And how do I come to own that kind of faith for myself and how do I pass it along, especially now I'm concerned about those grandkids of mine? Is our faith as contagious as the measles or mumps or God forbid the deadly Ebola disease? At our Presbytery meeting, the, the rainy one in Ketchikan a few weeks ago, on Sunday morning we had a class that met in the sanctuary and Corey Schlosserhall, our executive, led a conversation on where have all the Presbyterians gone. It was a good conversation. I think somebody should write uh, some new lyrics to the old uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary song, Where Have All the Flowers Gone? And, and we could have some fun with this. You know, Where Have All the Presbyterians Gone? But Corey reminded us that in the past 50 years, the Presbyterian Church has lost over 50% of its members. The average Presbyterian Church in this country We'll have less than 100 persons in worship this morning. And over half of the total membership of the PCUSA today is over 65. Now, I don't dislike gray hair. In fact, I kind of like it. Uh, I don't dislike older people. I enjoy getting a pension from my denomination, and I enjoy getting a check from my country and my Social Security check every month. But do you know that as we have aged and grayed, we have become more of a mission-receiving nation than a mission-sending church? African churches, Asian churches, our Korean brothers and sisters are sending missionaries to our country to call us back to our roots. And Corey talked about the three clines of a bell-shaped curve. The incline, the recline, and then the decline. Incline, recline, decline. 
And we know how institutions are. There's a burst of energy when we start them and everybody pitches in and we build our buildings and we organize our churches or whatever institution, our clubs or whatever. And then we rest on our laurels and think, oh, wow, we've, we've made it. And inevitably, if we stay at that point, then we begin to decline. I've watched it with my own eyes in the 50 years just a little over 50 years since my own ordination. And I must confess that at times I wonder how you and I are going to give an account to the good Lord because I do believe someday we will be asked, you know, what happened on your watch, Irv? The 50 years that you were a pastor and a leader in my church. I, uh, I grew up in a church which uh, spent a lot of time with the Heidelberg Catechism and I went to catechism with Domini Haverkamp for two years and we had to memorize all 129 questions and answers. Fortunately we got to do it in English. My parents and grandparents had to do it in Dutch. But when it came time for us to make our confessions of faith, we met with the elders and they interrogated us, not only on whether we could repeat the questions and answers just, you know, as rote memory, but how we were internalizing that, how we were going to live that out. And in a few moments, we're going to look at the first question and answer, which is my favorite one in the whole Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and in death? My friends, we need to find a way to keep that faith alive for one more generation at least and then pass it along to the next. And that's why I think we desperately need to stay at the table together. There are a lot of Presbyterians who get upset about one thing or another, a decision by the General Assembly, whether we are going to endorse same-gender marriage or whether we're going to uh, endorse uh, some uh, protest against what's happening in Israel and Palestine or all the rest. Where did we ever get the idea that the church was going to be conflict-free? Read Acts 15, the first General Assembly. They had a knockdown, drag-out fight, and then finally, after a lot of discussion and a lot of prayer and a lot of debate, they said together, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to do thus and so. I think it's time for us to do the same thing. Paul ends his letter at the end of Philippians. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The friends who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of the emperor's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And I want to say, so let it be. So let it be, Cottage Lake Presbyterian. So let it be, Presbytery of the Northwest Coast with our Alaskan brothers and sisters now and a third of our membership in the old North Puget Sound is Korean. I mean, what a diverse group we have become with Alaskans and Koreans and Anglos serving Jesus Christ together and doing it to the glory of God. So let it be here too. Amen and amen.